This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell, and joining me in the studio today are the Toledo Symphony's President and CEO, Zach Vassar, Principal Second Violin, and Artistic Administrator, Merwin Sue. And on the phone, we have a very special guest. Let me play a welcoming fanfare for you. We have a special guest, and that is Melisande McNabney. Melisande is performing on harpsichord with the Toledo Symphony in a concert this weekend. Welcome, Melisande. Well, it is quite the welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we, we have a fanfare every time a special guest comes on, so consider yourself, you know, just part of the family, as it were. This was a truly special <laughs> fanfare. Though. Yeah, yes. I, I, I really hope you stay with us. You... <laughs> now, now, enlighten me as, as to what you're thinking about the fanfare we did. Me? Well, it just felt, it's such a brassy, aggressive fanfare, and it kind of contrasts quite a lot with uh, Poulenc. <laughs> yes. She's going to be performing. And, and also contrasts with Melisande, I suppose. <laughs> well, if you listen carefully, I think we even heard a forte piano in there, so... We yeah. totally did not. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a connection. Yeah, I was expecting something more Baroque, I have to say. Well, <laughs> I'll Hey, we're just getting started. All right. <laughs> So Melisande is on the phone with us today. Melisande is playing harpsichord for the Francis Poulenc Harpsichord Concerto, also called the Concert Champêtre. I, I got really excited when I first saw it was a Concert Champêtre because I was thinking, oh, champagne, the Champagne Concerto. And then I realized champagne was a French word, really. <laughs> so, yeah, I got that all yeah. wrong. Yeah, the Champêtre is more like, it means then... I guess you could translate it with bucolic. It's, you know, from the countryside. So, um, yeah. Isn't bucolic a French word? So you just translated a French word into a French word. Yeah. (laughs) That's my specialty. (laughs) That's what we do here, right? Anyway. That is pretty much how Alain does rehearsals. Yes. He thinks of a French word that doesn't have an English equivalent and then translate it into a French word that does have an English equivalent. (laughs) And that's how we rehearse. That's it. Okay. All right. So the concert, getting back to uh, what we're talking about today, that's happening Saturday. It's uh, this Saturday, February 4th at 8 o'clock p.m. at the Paris Style Joanne Folletta is conducting the TSO for the uh, second time. She talked last January. I'm going to actually talk with her a little bit later in the show today. So think of the questions that you may want to ask her, and uh, I'll pass them along. But Melisande is playing that Poulenc harpsichord concerto, and uh, it's an all-French program. There's music by Paul Ducat and Maurice Ravel as well, so we can touch on that a little bit. But before we do, Melisande, I told you that uh, we were going to listen to your story. And so this is where the Baroque-type music comes in, okay? Because I've got some background music for you. Let me get that started. Okay. So, Melisande, let's hear your story. Well, I was born in Quebec City, so I'm a Canadian, French-Canadian, actually. I have a... Francophone mother and an Anglophone father must marry me with an Irish last name. So that's, uh, that's my background. You can kind of tell from my name that it's a mix. 
Um, so I grew up in Montreal, and I actually had a harpsichord in the living room when I was growing up. So my mother comes from a musical family, and she was a harpsichordist. She wasn't a performer, but she uh, she learned it and did. And so that's the first keyboard I played when I was a little child. Uh, I played the harpsichord. And so then, you know, when I started lessons, I started piano lessons. Like, like, so I started piano lessons when I was, you know, seven years old. And I got back to studying the harpsichord quite young. Actually, I was 11 when I started studying the harpsichord. And seriously, having a teacher. And... It sounds like it seems amazing to me now, but when I started harpsichord lessons, it was actually at my high school in Montreal, at uh, Brooks High School, and uh, it was a public high school, and they had a music program, and I was a harpsichord teacher. So that's where I started my harpsichord lessons, and now that program, unfortunately, is not completely shut down, but it's uh, changed. They don't have harpsichord anymore. They just have orchestra. Um, but yeah, I studied harpsichord uh, at. McGill University in Montreal, and then I did a master's degree in Amsterdam, and I started studying the photo piano in Amsterdam as well. So when I came back here in Canada, I came back to Montreal, I um, incorporated all early keyboards in, the, in what I do, so I do a sort of historical approach to music and different keyboards, harpsichords, photo piano, sometimes the organ. I, for the personal side, I have a, a little boy, he's four years old. I live here with, uh, with my partner, high school girl player, and uh, we live in Quebec City since five years now. Yay! <laughs> Interesting. So, so you play the harpsichord. You start on the harpsichord. I mean, how many people do you think grow up with a harpsichord in their living room? Not many, uh, right? For whom it's not well, a punishment. Well, you know who did actually is my mom because her oh, mom played wow. the harpsichord wow wow is it the same harpsichord was it like passed down from generation to generation it is and i'm looking at it right now i'm looking at wow. the harpsichord that was my mother's and my grandmother's wow does your son play the harpsichord uh, yeah that was my next question <laughs> well you know he's uh he's played it i have very cute videos of him playing the harpsichord as a baby and <laughs> but he hasn't started lessons yet he's only four i think we're gonna let him grow up he's a he likes to move. He can sit down for probably 20 seconds at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the uh, Francis Poulenc concerto mm -hmm. because uh, this is, you know, an example of like the harpsichord kind of out of time, as it were, out of, out of the Baroque period where people usually place it. Um, what can you yeah. tell us about this particular concerto? So this concerto by Poulenc was written in the late 1920s. So it's in, in between the wars piece, and it was written specifically for a harpsichordist called Vanda Landowska. So Landowska, she was the main pioneer of the revival of the harpsichord. So mm. she started the studying piano, and she had an incredible life and an incredible influence on, you know, basically the whole early music movement that we have today. Um, we a lot of it to her. There's some other pioneers that she, she really did the, a lot for it. And she um, had some contemporary pieces written for her. So as she was reviving Hotsport, getting instruments made for her, some contemporary composers also wrote for her. So we have the concerto by Poulenc, we have the Defaya that were written for her. And um, she um, played it on her harpsichord, which was made by 
Pleyel, who is a piano maker. So Wanderland Lando's harpsichord was not a historical copy as we have now and as they have in Toledo, and which are really, they try to be very faithful copies of the early harpsichord. Her harpsichord was sort of halfway. It was made a bit bigger. It had metal in it, and it was a, had a big, um, you know, had more options for stops. And so it's a, it's a, an instrument that you can find nowadays, but it's kind of rare that we have harpsichords that are, you know, we call them revival harpsichords. That's in the early 20th century that are in good condition because we don't really make those instruments anymore. So that's, that's what Freelance wrote this piece for. Hmm. And then um, it's a piece that's like, that seems incredibly happy. It's the concert chantage, you know, you imagine playing in nature. Um, but there's something that seems like there's a, a scary part to it. It's like some savage moments in the <laughs> You have the trumpet that sounds military, and you have to remember that this was written in, in between the wars. Like Those people had lived through war, and very soon there was going to be another one, and there was like, you know, Hitler was about to come into power. Like the, It was not a quiet time. Yeah. And people's lives, like Poulenc's life, Landowska's life, was, uh, you know, it's hard to imagine everything that they lived through, you know. And so there's, you know, a lot of happiness, but this kind of grin to it, too, that's a bit that you can feel is a bit scary. And I actually, you know, I have a quote for you. I don't know if you have time. Oh, please. I'm reading right now a book that came out relatively recently by Re- Rebecca Solnitz called Orwell's Roses. So it's about the life of George Orwell and also his love of nature, his garden, you know, the sort of more trivial aspects of his life. And so Orwell lived exactly at the same time as Glenda Stenkulank, and he was sent to Germany. He's a journalist. You know, he wrote, let me see, about the war in politics. politics. <laughs> yeah. Well, most and, people know him from yeah. 1984, the dystopian war, novel, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And so... So as a journalist, he was sent to Germany after the Second World War, so maybe 10 years after making sure it was written. But he says, so I'm going to quote this. This is from Orwell. He saw a dead German soldier was lying supine at the foot of the steps. His face was a waxy yellow. On his breast, someone had laid a bunch of the lilac, which was blooming everywhere. So... And end of the quote. So you have this soldier that has the lilac on his breast because it's springtime. And so, like, for me, this image really sort of captures the feeling of this concerto. Like, it's spring, it's champêtre, it's happy, we have the flowers, but, you know, there's also all the devastation of war that's just in front of you at the same time. So. Uh, I'm curious, um, when you talk about these images that come to mind in association with a particular piece of music, I mean, how does that affect your performance, or how do you realize that performance, or is it different depending on, you know, you're playing on lots of different instruments, really, when you go out and and play these concerts. How does that work for you? Well, you know, music is kind of, it's abstract, and then we have all these images that, you know, that people associate with it. So sometimes some performers are going to have very precise images that help them interpret the music. Mm. For some people, it's more vague. It's more of a general feeling. Some people think of colors and of moods. But for me, like, it's helpful to have, like, you know, if we associate an image, then 
you're going to make sense of the passage. If you think pastoral and you think, you know, like the in the Disney movie Fantasia, so we have like the Beethoven symphony and we see the little angels and the shepherds rolling in the hill and how do you call them, the fawns, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so these images are really like, they bring the work of music alive because you really get it. Now I've got visions of pink hippos dancing in my head to Punkielli music. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it works. Yeah. So I, don't, I find them helpful. It's not like I don't always have a precise image when I'm learning a piece, but often, you know, I, I like to research a lot. I'm pretty... And, you know, I, I'm very, like, I would say a very serious person. <laughs> I'm always reading a book, I guess. But there's, um, yeah, so there's, like, there's always, like, the, the context for me is important when I play a piece. So, yeah. Melisande, one of the um, yeah. things I'm looking forward to is hearing this live. I've only heard it recorded. And, um, you know, it's such a modern concerto uh, compared to Baroque concerti. Um Mm-hmm. And in any harpsichord setting with orchestra, you know, there's always the challenge of the harpsichord blending with the rest of the orchestra and remaining audible. Um, is that a yeah. bigger issue in the Poulenc concerto, or is it a uh, just given the modernity of it, or is it uh, is it just another great harpsichord concerto from your perspective? Well, I think the the issue of balance when you play the harpsichord, it's always there because the instrument is not very loud, and I feel mm-hmm. like and, um, you know, instruments, just uh, with time, every instrument got louder and louder. Like a violin in the Baroque period was not built to produce as much sound as they do now. Because now the strings have more tension, the strings are metal, mm-hmm. the concert halls are getting bigger, the instruments are getting louder. And so when you have a harpsichord in a big concert hall with modern instruments, it's going to be hard to compete with right. <laughs> the sound. And um, so we might we might have a bit of help for that from the well, you know all concertos are really kind of rigged competitions. I mean, like <laughs> at, I mean every I between mean, the harpsichord and the orchestra. Well, no, or between the soloist between and, any soloist in an orchestra, it's right. always rigged. Mm-hmm. The composer yeah. has rigged it to a certain degree. The conductor helps to a certain degree, and the soloist does what they can. But it's you know I yeah. think. You can never assume that, oh my gosh, the soloist is overpowering the orchestra. That's never actually happening. <laughs> yeah. Well, Melisande makes, <laughs> makes a great point, though, yeah. because of instruments, modern instruments are by nature louder mm-hmm. than period instruments. But the harpsichord that you're going to be playing on is more of a period-type uh, harpsichord as opposed to that modern harpsichord that Wanda Landowska premiered the piece on. Um, I wonder if we can yeah. talk. We did a, a whole episode on the, is it Tascan Hubbard or Tascan Hubbard? <laughs> I'm a little confused. So Hubbard, Hubbard was American. So yes, that's, was American, that's what I thought. Hubbard was American, but Tascan is French. And so he built it, and Tascan is the model. So Tascan is the French Baroque harpsichord builder, and Hubbard is the modern uh, American harpsichord maker that made the copy. So Hubbard is actually the... He's a real, um, a real name that's important for us harpsichordists because he published the first book that's kind of it's still like the main reference actually called the what's it called the harpsichord. Here in my library. Yeah, anyway, it's important it's that you know the name of your instrument. Years of harpsichord making. 
Yeah. Well, it's interesting. We should have had you on the podcast where we talked about the Tascan Hubbard uh, instruments. Oh, we'll do another one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Would have cleared it up right away. Have have you played on a a similar harpsichord or perhaps even the the Hubbard before? Well, actually, you know, the harpsichord I have in my practice room is a Hubbard. So my, uh, my grandmother ordered this harpsichord from Frank Hubbard in the 60s. And I think, like, from what I've seen of the pictures of the Toledo instrument, it's quite similar. So I'll feel uh, right at home. Wow, that's great. That's great. Good planning. I I take it you guys plan that, right? No? Yes? Happy accidents. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes things happen. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Well, you say the harpsichord is right in front of you. I mean, you know, here we are with bated breath if you want to play something for us. (laughs) You have to play like a a modern, you know, melody on the old harpsichord. Anyway. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Do you have any uh, polka fanfares that you can play on? (laughs) (laughs) I can add it to my soundboard if you want to do a little fanfare. We're just kidding, man. I could play the beginning of Mahler 5, maybe. Ah! (laughs) There it is, the Mahler bell. For you Symphony Lab ophiles who listen to the program, you know that every time we say that name, it's kind of like the the Scottish play, you know. It's, exactly. Yeah, every time you say the name, we have to ring the bell. So uh, it does make me think of what Mahler Five would sound like if instead of a trumpet, it was a harpsichord making that. <laughs> I don't have that kind of sound effect on my. <laughs> we'll my have to board. improvise it, Melisand, when you're in town. Yeah, here's the closest I can get. That is not That's close at all. No. Was that a was that a dentist drill or I didn't I didn't say it was close. I just said it was the closest I could get. Or maybe this. I don't know. Yeah, that's more yeah, like it. We'll throw that in. Yeah. That's what <laughs> we're gonna leave that alone. Yeah. Um what about uh, the the movements of the concerto Melisande? I'd love to know if you have a home base given some of your um fantasia inspirations like is mm-hmm. there a point when you're in the first movement that you you're in your favorite part or is it in the second or the third what, what's your i mean it's a 20 minute work where are you okay, happiest so i have to say so there's this part hold on i think you know the the first theme of the first movement is such a happy theme and it mm-hmm. really like i could play that every day of my life and it would put me in a good mood but i think my favorite part is in the third movement and we have this incredibly lyrical, melodic line. And, you know, that's something that on the harpsichord we never get to do. You play a long singing melodic line like that, and I'm just playing it, the you know, in unison with my two hands. And it goes like, I don't know if you can hear it well, the... times where, you know, the whole orchestra is playing and the harpsichord has this very vocal line over everything and it feels so indulgent because, you know, it's it's something that this instrument is not really made to do. And it's also like, I don't know how it's going to, it's going to be a tricky part for balance. And I'm mm-hmm. also thinking like, what was the night thinking? Making the harpsichord play this extremely vocal line, like, is he making fun of me? What's he doing here? Because <laughs> like, is this going to work or not? But, um, I think it's like, uh, this is what I, I feel like, uh, finally, I'm singing. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
that it's it's really interesting because as you, you're talking about some of the potential balance issues, but my understanding is that one of the previous times you performed this piece was actually in a venue where, I mean, it would have been impossible for balance not to be an issue, right? Did you do this at Lenodier? Yeah. And well, you know, it, it was kind of an issue. I don't know how successful it was. Like, you have to, um, you know, I had very good feedback from people, but you have to have people in the in the audience listening and telling you, because, of course, when you're on stage, it's difficult to tell, so you have to trust the ears that are in the hall yeah. to tell you that, yes, it's okay, and, yeah. But that's a gorgeous venue, which basically kind of... I mean, what the the peristyle that you're going to be performing in is is an incredibly unique venue and is wonderful, but it doesn't feel redolent of the outdoors. <laughs> it is not in itself yeah. a bucolic venue. But you just Dier's... string some garland, you know, and <laughs> yes. a few decorations. But but Lenodier is no, very I have different. To say, like my 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 memory of this my past performance of this concerto. So what Merlin was uh, describing, I was playing it at the Festival de la Nouvelle, which is takes place in Quebec every summer, and it's an outdoors theater. So I was playing there with the symphony orchestra on this outdoor stage, and, you know, it was twilight, maybe, and I could smell the trees here, the leaves rustling, and mm. there was, like, little birds at the background, and I was playing the Concert Champêtre, and I couldn't believe how perfect it was, you know, mm. to have all this feeling. But you should have put that in your rider. Yeah, yeah. Like, you want you want you want a bird. I can get, we can get you some birds. <laughs> you need some birds. <laughs> you, need, <laughs> you need some leaves. Yeah. Rustling. Well, and if you haven't been to the Peristyle yet, but it's a uh, wonderful space that you'll enjoy because it, it, while being indoors, it does have the feeling of maybe being outdoors, and that'll make more sense when you're kind of a, an amphitheater, ancient yeah. Greek style yeah. Yeah. going on there. Um, Melisande, I have a question, given that you have the harpsichord there. Uh, do you take requests? <laughs> no free bird. I know where no. you're going with this. Oh, I was going to do a Stairway <laughs> to Heaven. <laughs> stairway to Heaven. I'm no Led Zeppelin. Yes. Okay. Well, let's oh, do no, our... no, 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 no. <laughs> let's do our we'll quiz. Have to, we'll, we'll have to get a lute player to play that for you. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. So, Melisande, we're indoctrinating you into our uh, family of quizzes here with the French Composer Facts Quiz. I have eight different questions. And what we do is I run through the questions and the composers, and you make your choice. Either you can write it down or you can do it by memory, or you can do it at the last minute. And then we'll go back to the beginning, okay? So let me get the okay. quiz music going here. Okay, nice Parisian cafe music, right? This composer had two pianos stacked on top of each other in his apartment, but he used the upper one as a storage bin for newspapers, letters, parcels, and over 100 umbrellas. Was it Eric Satie, was it Hector Berlioz, or was it Maurice Ravel? So that's your first question. Second question is, his father was a shoemaker... He was a choir boy and a celebrated viol player, and his life was immortalized on screen. Was that Jean-Baptiste Lully? Was that Marin Marais? Or was it Jean-Philippe Rameau? A, B, or C. Question number three. He did not find fame until he was 50 years old when he started writing operas. Was that Jean-Baptiste Lully? Was that Marin Marais? Or was it Jean-Philippe Rameau? This female composer kept her maiden name after marriage. Was it Elisabeth Jacquet de la Guerre? 
Louise Farenc or Cécile Chaminade, A, B, or C. Okay, then I have a little thing where you have to put composers in the order of the mentor and the mentee. In other words, I've got three composers here. You have to put them in the order of teacher and student, right? So that would be Camille Saint-Saëns, Hector Berlioz, and Gabriel Fauré. They weren't specifically their teacher, but they had a mentorship role. In Can you repeat those one more time? Saint-Saëns, Berlioz, and Fauré. Okay. Hmm. Now I have another round, the same thing, with three different composers. Léo Delib, Adolphe Adam, and Adrien Boisdieu. A, B, or C. Which of these composers did not win the Prix de Rome? Was it Paul Ducat, Olivier Messiaen, or Maurice Ravel? And remember, it can be all of the above or none of the above for any of these. You and say this at the end of the seventh question of an eight-question <laughs> quiz. And Sorry, let's go back. It was, it was Ducat, Messiaen, and Ravel? Yeah. Who did not win the Grand Prix de Rome? Yes. Finally, the last question. Which composer was a member of the Astronomical Society of France and they had their own personal telescope? Was it Ambroise Thomas, was it Camille Saint-Saëns, or was it Jacques Offenbach? Huh. Okay, so that's the quiz. Are you still with us, Melisande, or did you... Did you yeah. uh, okay, okay. So let's go back All to right, the I'm beginning. taking this. Yeah. Excellent. Now we'll go back to the, to the beginning okay. and uh, we'll get the answers. So this composer, the composer with two pianos on top of each other, using the upper one as a storage bin. How many people said Eric Satie? I and, did not. Yeah. Melisande, are you raising oh, your hand? For sure, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was. It was oh, Eric Satie. It was Eric Satie, absolutely. So that goes to Melisande. Wasn't he obsessed with white rice or something like that? <laughs> Uh, white food. White he only food, ate yeah. white food. I didn't like, choose sati because you only indicated that there were newspapers in there. You didn't say there was any white uh, food. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I tried to be tricky. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this composer's father was a shoemaker. He was a choir boy, a celebrated viol player. He was also immortalized in a movie. Uh, how many people say Jean-Baptiste Lully? No. No. How many people said Marin Marais? Yeah? No? Well, that once again. Wow. That is Mélisande. Marin Marais. You remember that movie with Gérard Depardieu, Tout le matin du monde? Oh my gosh, I did see that movie. Yeah. Oh, that's bad then. Okay. All right, this composer did not find fame until he was 50 and started writing operas. Was that Lully, Marais, or Rameau? Would you say Mélisande? Rameau. Ramo, yeah, I'm going to give that to you as well. All right, three different wins for Melisande in a roll. I, I, I have a, an idea that you're going to win this quiz, Melisande. We're going to get to the <laughs> point where there's, to go. <laughs> where there's no way that anybody else can win. We call that Dormy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. This female composer kept their maiden name after marriage. Was it uh, Elisabeth Jacquet de la Guerre? Was it Louise Ferenc? Or was it Cécile Chaminade? What do you say, Melisande? I'm, I'm going to you for the answer. Well, you know, I, I was going to say Zeket Lagarde, but I don't like. I think she did keep her name, but I'm not sure about the other two. So yeah, might be all of them. Well, how many people said Elizabeth Jacquet de la Guerre? I did not. Yeah, yeah. 
she is not the one because uh, De La Guerre was actually her husband's name. He was like an organist or something. Oh, so Jacquet is her family yeah, name. Yeah, she was born as uh, Jacquet. So Louise Farenc, she also took her husband's name. Oh my God, I might have gone in one. Yeah, because yeah. he was a he was like a publisher or something. And uh, Edition Farenc, I think, is it was his company. And then Cecile Chaminade, she was married at one time, but it was like a, a kind of platonic relationship that they had. It was all spelled out that they would, you know, not do certain things. Use your imagination there. And uh, she did keep her birth name, Cecile Chaminade. So she is... Did anybody say, Cecile, that was you, Merwin? All right. I need to differentiate between the M's here. Merwin and Melisande. I just feel... I think I'm going to be going one for eight. It's just better to not get a shutout. (laughs) There are three left. I'm still working on the shutout over here. (laughs) Composers in order of mentor and mentee. And this is not where you can use, you know, none of the above. (laughs) All of the above, above, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, uh, Saint-Saëns, Berlioz, and Foray. So... I'll tell you the right order, and you tell me who got it. First it was Berlioz, then it was Saint-Saëns, then it was Foray. Yeah. Anybody get that? You got it, Merwin? Yeah. yeah. Did you get that? No, to... I... Oh, you're so honest. You should have said yes, of course. <laughs> I should have lied. <laughs> it's okay. This is It's good practice after customs, right? <laughs> okay. So here's the second round of that. Putting composers in the order of teacher and student. I'll just give you the uh, order. You tell me again if you chose those. It was Adrien Boisdieu, Adolphe Adam, and Leo Delib. I got it backwards. (laughs) (laughs) I said them backwards. You just copied what I said. Did did anybody else get that? No. No? Say it again. Sorry, I didn't follow. Uh, uh, Yeah, you were were doing something else. Okay, uh, Boisdieu. Trying drawing out. Boisdieu, that's really hard to say. Adrien Boisdieu, Adolphe Adam, mm-hmm. and Leo Delib. That was the order. You, you know, I got it, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, uh, yeah. Because he's like, isn't he like the French Mozart? Something like or that. He, he, yeah. He, he, yeah, so, he, and like, mm, you know, took a chance with the other two because, yeah, there you go. All right. Excellent. Which of these composers mm-hmm. did not win the Prix de Rome, Ducat, Messiaen, or Ravel, which, which did not win the Prix de Rome. What do you say, Zach? I have a feeling that you might have the correct answer. I said none of the above. Uh, that is actually <laughs> wrong, because the question was who did not win the Prix de Rome. Oh. Th- <laughs> <laughs> all of the above. There we go. Yes, all of the above. <laughs> All of the above. Yeah. Paul Ducat, Olivier Messiaen. Messiaen tried one time and he got close, but then he was like, oh, forget it. I didn't want that prize anyway, so he didn't do it. <laughs> Ravel caused a huge scandal when he was mm-hmm. denied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ravel was like, yeah. I remember Ducat was the only scandal, question. So I thought it would be Ravel. Yeah. Yeah, and Ducat, uh, whose music is on the concert, by the way, there's that Fantasia tie in, yeah. um, did not win mm-hmm. also. Okay, the last question is, which composer was a member of the Astronomical Society of France and had their own personal telescope? Was it Ambroise Thomas, Camille Saint-Saëns, or Jacques Offenbach? A, B, or C? How many people said Jacques Offenbach? I said Offenbach. 
Merwin, <laughs> how many people said Amboise Thomas? Zach, how many people said Camille Saint-Saëns? That's your cue, Melisande. Well, you know, I just didn't, I didn't know, so I just, I didn't even guess. If you oh. had to guess, if you had to just, if you had to guess of those three, I gave up. I gave up on that question. <laughs> well, if you had to to, to choose one, just for kicks, you get, yes, you get a free shot. <laughs> yeah, just to rub it in because you already won the quiz. <laughs> so if you were to say Camille Saint Saëns, you would be Yay! correct. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was going to trip you up with the Offenbach-Jules Verne connection, you know? I, yeah, I chose Offenbach yeah, for that reason. Yeah, but uh, definitely the winner by a long shot of our quiz today was our guest, Melisande McNapney. Uh, congratulations to you, Melisande. Merwin's going to tell you what you win. I think you win a, a new first sentence of your bio. <laughs> Winner of the Toledo Symphony Lab quiz. <laughs> Melisande, how does this stack up to all of your other victories in your career? Well, <laughs> I have to say, I was a bit nervous this morning, but it all went, you know, medium well, and uh, I'm thankful. I'm yeah, just like I like my steaks. Oh, that was come. wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that sounded too familiar, like medium rare, is that it? <laughs> well, we're going to bring this uh, part of the, the show to a close because I'm going to talk with Joanne Folletta next. So before we go, um, I'm going to talk to her about the other orchestral repertoire on the program. I wonder if you guys have any questions for her, and, and especially you, Mélisande, if I can pass anything on. Uh, what what would you want to know ahead of time? Okay, well, sure. I'm. What I was thinking of asking uh, Joanne Folletta was um, because you know I saw recently that she um, also was a, a lute player. I think she was a guitar player, but also she also played the lute. There's a recording that I saw um, that she made many years ago, and and so there's this connection with the early music and the early repertoire. And I was wondering if. Uh, Vanda Landowska had any influence on her, or what's her, what's her relationship with Landowska, and that there's a, you know, interesting. Brad is writing yeah. furious. Yeah, I don't have to do any work for this <laughs> this interview. I, I'm getting all the questions here. Uh, Merwin, what do you want to know? I'm very curious as somebody who's a guest conductor and has guest conducted orchestras all around the world. Um, What's it like to guest conduct Bolero? Um, how, how do you try to bring your stamp to it, or is this some like how do you make make something out of that particular kind of combination of ingredients? How like I, I've always been kind of fascinated by yeah. as when you're walking and you don't know what your soloists are going to do. It, I, I've always found that I. I I would be really interested in hearing what she thinks about that. Well, on the surface, you know, the only variations are really just in dynamics, how loud yeah. it is, and the little tempo, bit of phrasing. keeping the tempo, you know, consistent throughout, and a little bit of phrasing. I but mean, I think there's, you know, I'm sure there are deeper levels to plumb, and I'd be curious to yeah. hear what she says. Yeah. Well, somebody like Leonard Bernstein would be jumping up and down on the podium and drawing attention <laughs> to themselves and subdividing all the beats and everything. He could just conduct it with an eyebrow, though. He did that, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the other extreme as well. <laughs> exactly. So it'd be interesting to see which side of the fence that uh, Joanne Folletta falls on. Zach, you have anything you want me to ask? Well, I, I, I was along the same lines as Merwin is... Um, 
warhorse of Bolero is, you know, people love to love it and love to hate it, depending on which side of the fence you fall. But, um, you know, it is, I am always interested. I think I've, I've seen a couple really great performances of it and I've seen a couple really mediocre performances of it but there there has to be some strategy to making it more than passable or 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 perfunctory so which uh, one are we going to hear on on Saturday of course (laughs) outstanding like I think this is going to be just one of the more exciting programs so um but uh, but the through line of, of French music you know we're looking at a, a kind of a narrow band of a compositional window here and of course there was great French music before and after um so I just my question to her is from a programmatic standpoint you know what does this kind of uh era of French music uh, represent for her and and you know especially given that it has the tie back to the old um early music with the harpsichord concerto um how how and why is this special yeah all right. I will pass all of these questions on to Joanne. We'll talk about what else is on the concert that's coming up next. I want to remind folks, concerts happening this Saturday, February 4th, 8 p.m. at the Toledo Museum of Art Paris Style. Joanne Folletta is the conductor, and the harpsichord soloist is our guest today, Melisande de McNabney. We're going to hear an all-French program, music of Paul Ducat and Maurice Ravel, as well as the Concert Champêtre, the harpsichord concerto by Francis Poulenc. I want to thank all of you for uh, joining me today for Toledo Symphony Lab, and especially to you, Melisande. Thanks for calling in and joining us. Thanks so much. I've got the wonderful conductor Joanne Folletta here with me, really one of the the top conductors in the music world today, Grammy-winning conductor, trailblazer, among other things, and appearing with the Toledo Symphony this Saturday at 8 p.m. Now, Joanne, first of all, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. The last time I saw you here in Toledo was about a year ago. You did an All-American program then. Now you're doing it all French program. Um, I know. I'm delighted. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're delighted to have you back in Toledo. It's really wonderful to uh, hear your voice. Of course, I've played a lot of your recordings in the uh, interim, but uh, we're looking forward to seeing you in person. Let's talk a little bit about the other music on the concert besides the harpsichord concerto, because we talked a lot about that. Although I did get questions from our panelists for you. So we'll get to that in a moment. But I, okay. I, I wonder if we can talk a little bit about the Ducat, the fanfare from La Paris, which is a great opening for a concert, very brassy, huh? It is. I'm so glad we have this on. I mean, it really features, of course, only the brass section. And um, it's uh, it's the opening to this big opera of, of, about, uh, you know, the, the Paris were supposedly um, fallen angels who cannot get back into heaven until they do something good in the world. Uh, 
But uh, you can't tell that from the overture. It's simply a brilliant display of brass pyrotechnics. So I'm looking forward to that. I mean, how often do we get to start a concert on that kind of note? It's very short and very wonderfully French and also celebratory. And that's a good way to start. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also very ear-catching, like the different harmonies. There's a little bit of unexpectedness going on throughout the work. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 I, people haven't heard it. If people haven't heard it, I think they'll be very, very uh, pleasantly uh, moved by this wonderful piece. Yeah. Well, it's a great setup for the harpsichord concerto, which follows. And I guess I'll ask you a question that Melisande had for you. Um, she was talking about the fact that you were a fellow stringed instrument player. You know, you played guitar yeah. and uh, a lute, I guess. And yeah. she wanted to know if uh, Wanda Landowska had any influence on you, because Wanda Landowska, of course, uh, premiered the Poulenc Harpsichord Concerto. So that was That's her right. question for you. Well, yes, yes. I listened to the recordings, and, you know, Melisande is, is, is very... Uh, uh, very perceptive about this. As a guitarist, I identified with the harpsichord, and of course, she was one of the greats of all time. Uh, but this, the idea that that it's a plucked instrument—I mean, we use our fingers, and of course, the harpsichord is using its little plectrums inside the instrument. But, but um, the the wonderful qualities of both instruments are very, very similar. So, I did listen because I wanted to to understand the phrasing that one especially has to be very conscious of in an instrument that has a decay, like the harpsichord mm-hmm. or the guitar. So, um, thank you, Melisande. That's a, that's a beautiful question. <laughs> well, our next question pertains to Maurice Ravel. There are two works of Ravel on the concert, including the iconic Bolero, and we talked a little bit about this, but uh, Merwin wanted to know, he's the principal second violin in the orchestra, he wanted to know, um, as a guest conductor for orchestras around the world, what is it like for you to guest conduct Bolero? Do you put your own stamp on it, and how would you do that? Well, you know, the, my, my personal philosophy of going to an orchestra as a guest conductor is that you you open the door to being inspired by the orchestra, and, uh, and, and you take a lot of their personality into your interpretation. So with Bolero, that's especially true because there are all these great soloists sitting in the chairs of the orchestra from flute to trombone and snare drum. So they are really going to inspire this performance. But my job is the architecture of the piece, mm-hmm. making sure that the trajectory of, of uh, an unusual piece, because it, it, it is repetitive in the most wonderful way, um, makes sense to the audience and builds to that great climax. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's, that's my role, but I, it's going to be informed very much by every single solo, and I can't wait to hear them. So it's different pretty much every time that you uh, conduct the work with other orchestras, yeah? Absolutely, and that's what I love about music. It just shows uh, the infinite possibilities with the same notes in front of you, and that's, that's the, the great... Uh, the, makes it, in my in my estimation, the 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 the, the most um, sophisticated art form because it, it's always changing. What can you tell us about this ballet suite, the Daphnis and Chloe ballet, in itself very long, but Ravel uh, made a couple of suites out of it, 
And you're doing the suite number two from Daphnis and That's Chloe. That's right. That's right. You know, and, and Ravel uh, loved to be inspired by things that were outside his world. In this case, he's going back to ancient Greece to a love story. Uh, and in the second, in the second suite, um, Chloe had been uh, kidnapped by pirates. But thanks to uh, Pan, the god, uh, she's been rescued. And so we, we pick it up at the point where uh, Daphnis is is on the ground, exhausted from searching for her, and he's 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 devastated that she has gone, and the sun rises, mm-hmm. and this piece is famous for this is very possibly the most beautiful sunrise ever written. The sun comes up, he wakes up, and as he opens his eyes, he sees Chloe running towards him, and uh, she explains that Pan has saved her life, um, and Pan told her that that he did this because of his great love, Syrinx, whom he lost. She ran away from him, and he fashioned um, reeds into his panpipe in her memory. So they tell that story in our music, you know, the, the great story of, of Pan playing on his flute. Hence, the flute has a major role. Uh, and then there's a wild celebration that they're reunited. So, uh, But in the hands of Maurice Ravel, this is one of the greatest treasures we have in the orchestra. Wow. Yeah, now I, I definitely have to go back and listen to it again with uh, your information in mind. Yeah. Well, folks can see this concert uh, live. It's happening this Saturday, February 4th at 8 p.m. in the Toledo Museum of Art Paris style. Joanne Folletta is the conductor. We'll also hear the Concert Champêtre, or the harpsichord concerto of Francis Boulanc. That is by the harpsichord soloist Melisande McNabney. Ha- have you worked with Melisande before on stage? No, no, I haven't. And it's a great pleasure yeah. to really be, be with her. Yeah, uh, well, the feeling is definitely mutual from what uh, she had to say. Um, I do have one more question here for you, and this is kind yeah. of a, a catch-all Um what does the French repertoire represented in this concert mean to you, especially in the context of the Poulenc Concerto, looking back and forward? What makes it special for you? Well, you know, it, it's very special because the it it, it represents two schools of, of French music, Ravel being the great impressionist that he was, but Poulenc being a little bit of a rebel and... Um, Going on to the next phase, you know, uh, because the the Lacis, of which Poulenc was a, a member, the, the, the six of us, they call themselves, the six young rebel composers, um, were, uh, you know, just, they were making a statement, it's time for something new, and we are the new, you know, we're the fresh new voice. So this Poulenc, I think people will see, is quite cheeky, it's quite uh, insouciant. I mean, it's, it's just irresistible. Um, but in the context of Ravel, it's very interesting to see how French music was, was evolving. Well, we are looking forward to having you here, and I thank you for making the time to talk with us today here on Toledo Symphony Lab. Well, thank you so much. Looking forward. Again, if you want to find more information about this concert, you can go online to the symphony website at toledosymphony.com or you can call the box office at 419-246-8000. The program is this Saturday at 8 p.m. 
At the Paris style, Joanne Folletta conducting with harpsichordist Melisande de McNabney, an all-French program including the harpsichord concerto of Francis Poulenc, as well as two wonderful selections by Maurice Ravel, and beginning with a big brass fanfare from Paul Ducat. This program is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony, with generous support from the Rita Barber Kern Foundation. You can download episodes of this program as a podcast by going to our website. That's at wgte.org lab. You can also subscribe to us through your podcast app of choice, including Apple, Google, and Spotify podcasts. Don't forget to check out all the upcoming events at the Symphony by visiting their website at toledosymphony.com and their various social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find the TSO streaming platform online at stream.artstoledo.com. I'm Brad Cresswell. You've been listening to Toledo Symphony Lab from FM 91.